What is going on? Welcome to the show. Happy Tuesday or Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Thursday? Why does it feel like the beginning of the week? I think it, I, I actually woke up. This is going to sound terrible. I woke up at like four in the morning and I could not go back to sleep because I was turning over in my head some HOA related stuff. <laughs> this is terrible. I'm ashamed to admit it. Welcome to the program. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. I'm Pete, and uh, welcome aboard. Thanks for sharing part of your day with me. Uh, we are all sharing our day with the vice president. Veep is in town. So if your day is going to get all screwed up because of congestion and traffic from you know West Charlotte at the airport all the way into Center City, as it did for me. Uh, remember, thank you, Vice President Kamala Harris, who is in town to campaign for uh, some of the Democrats running for state and uh, statewide races. That's the and and it's a uh, abortion uh, related event, right? That's what she's. I mean, oh, she's going to go look at some computers or something that, like some some computers to. Uh, that, that are, are made accessible for poor uh, poor people, poor folk, but um, that can't get internet, I guess. And so she's going to do that. I'm looking at the uh, Charlotte Observer. They've got their live updates page, and uh, they got a picture of her uh, standing in front of a bunch of buses, which is, you know, I mean, that's pretty smart. Katz isn't using them, so. Um, I mean, they're no drivers, right? Are they still doing the sick out? Right, yeah. The so apparently, like they did you hear this? They get like forty days of unexcused absences with pay. Like I need that union contract. My goodness. Um. Honestly, if you are running for state office, you're a Democrat. Why wouldn't you want Kamala Harris in town? Uh, Like city council, for example, the Charlotte City Council is having its election uh, Tuesday, right? Early voting's underway. Um, I think it's a great idea to have her here and campaigning for you. We all know how great of a campaigner Kamala Harris is. Right? I mean, that's... She she is renowned for her campaign skills, for her ad-libbing on the campaign trail. Remember, she did so well in the 2020 presidential primary... She had to drop out before her state even held its primary. But other than that, well, and yeah, and that debate performance where Tulsi Gabbard basically just gutted her. Um, Oh, and then the other one where she called Joe Biden a racist. But other than that, she's a fantastic campaigner for Democrat candidates. I welcome her uh, to town. Uh, The problem, though, is that whenever a dignitary like the president or the vice president comes in, they, they, you know, Shuttle them from the airport. Uh, I mean, not in one of the airport shuttles. Obviously, that's just for us folk. But um, you know, they, they, all the, the 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 limos and the the SUVs and the media pool. And I, I've been in that media pool as well. It's it, it's actually not even. It's you're held hostage. Basically, you're not allowed to do anything except go where they tell you to go. And so, if you can't file, if you can't you can't go up and talk to people, whatever. So. Uh, I mean, that's what it was when this was when George W. Bush came to Charlotte all those years ago. Um, So, yeah, it's going to cause 
a traffic nightmare in Charlotte during the city council election cycle. I'm sure they're really jazzed about that. Uh, Congestion all over town spiking. So uh, we ask that you uh, stay home just to flatten the curve. Just just to flatten the curve. And maybe wear a mask. Maybe that might help, too. Speaking of which, Joe Biden got COVID, which is weird because I thought this was a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And that guy's got like, I don't even, I've lost track of how many shots he's gotten. Oh, and then there's uh, uh, this related, let's see here. Um, do, 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 do. It is reckless. The president placing White House staff at risk of COVID-19. Uh, that's NPR. Um uh, Uh, The president's behavior threatens the very employees charged with taking care of him because he's staying at the White House. And. uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was when uh, that was when Trump got covid. That's those are the headlines at NPR and uh, at the Atlantic. When Trump got covid, he was, you know, literally risking the lives of all of the people around him by making them stay at work. Uh, uh, Not so much with Joe Biden. Um. Because, again, COVID is the smartest virus we have ever uh, made, I'm sorry, discovered, had in in history. It's the smartest virus. It knows. It knows if you're sitting or standing. It knows if you're walking to a bathroom or just standing around drinking beers at a bar versus sitting down drinking beers at a restaurant. It knows the difference. It knows, um, you know, if you're walking around in a Walmart versus walking around in a mom and pop shop. And that's why you got to close the ladder, keep the former open. COVID knows so much. So COVID knows, obviously, that Joe Biden does not pose a threat to any of the White House staff, whereas Donald Trump did, because reasons. Um, I do hope that the president is fine. I don't wish him any ill will, obviously, and hope he recovers. Uh, I am kind of curious if this is going to change any of the messaging whatsoever. I saw, uh, according to the uh, the live updates over at The Observer, uh, that... Uh, Kamala Harris was greeted by North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper at 1135 and uh, gave a quick wave to the pool. And then the motorcade took off for the Carol Hefner Center in Uptown Charlotte at 1140. Uh, the total amount of time watching the video on C-SPAN, uh, Cooper and Harris talked for like two minutes. And then uh, they were they, and then she gave like the thumbs up and uh, jumped into the uh, the SUV. A White House official said that. Kamala Harris has tested negative for COVID-19, and she was last with the president on Tuesday. I think that's why I said happy Tuesday, because I had this up and I'm looking at it. Maybe that's why I said Tuesday. Either that or maybe I've got a case of the Bidens. Anyway, she spoke to the president by phone this morning, but she was wearing a mask and she has as many shots as he does. And so she should be fine. Uh, The schedule will continue as planned. Super spreader. The vice president will remain masked following the advice of the White House medical team. Um, and uh, she's going to be rolling out of here after she does the, the big campaign event to, uh, uh, for, you know, for Democrats uh, on the abortion topic, because uh, that's really that's the winning topic for them right now. Uh, she's going to do that press conference and then she's going to get back in the uh, into the motorcade. They're going to head back to the airport somewhere around. Four thirty, five o'clock, which right. I just, so Chris, the producer, just he he just exhibited the sigh of despair that I know you just did too. So 
You're welcome, Charlotte traffic. Charlotte commuters, you're welcome. Your congestion this afternoon brought to you by Veep. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone numbers are 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, Boomer just stuck his head in and said that 77 Northbound is now open again. The vice president has gotten to where she was trying to get to. So uh, now we may all resume our lives, all a bit worse off for the wear. Uh, Kevin writes into Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. What a metaphor. The vice president comes to town and all progress, a.k.a. traffic, comes to a stop. It really is a great metaphor. Right. The government that the head of the national government arrives in your town and all economic activity just comes to a grinding halt. <laughs> right. Everything just jams up. It is a really good metaphor for government. Uh, appreciate the uh, uh, the email there also. Oh, here was uh, here was the president, Joe Biden, just yesterday. When what's your take yeah. on the next steps for COVID? Next steps for COVID. Cases are going up. Cases are going what up. What should the country be doing right now? Getting vaccinated. And for those who aren't, they've got a problem. It's not. It's not in their interest or the public interest not to get vaccinated. We have the capacity to control it. They should get vaccinated. All right. So that was the answer. Get vaccinated, people. That's all. The COVID numbers are going up. You need to get vaxxed like the president is. In a completely coincidental story, the president has COVID um, and probably had it actually while he was uh, making those comments and uh, with the little bits of spittle flying everywhere. Um, well, he, he's, he does. I don't know what is a denture related. Thing? I don't know. Here's a tweet at Pete Callender. Pete, aren't we supposed to post things like fingers crossed about the president having COVID? That's what I learned from social media when Trump was infected. That's a very good point. Anime gate. Um well, that's the handle on Twitter. I don't, I don't choose these other people's handles. They choose their own. So, um, yeah, wasn't that the, uh, what was her name? Jenna Wadsworth, right? Wasn't that her name? The the candidate for agriculture commissioner who did these ridiculous TikTok videos. And she remember she did the one when Trump got COVID and she posted this video Something about how, oh, isn't it just so ironic, like on a scale of hilarious, you know, and, and, and making fun of the fact that the president had COVID, that he got COVID. And so, oh, this was so ironic, so just, right? That, that was the, the, that's the, the focus and the, uh, the theme of the jokes when Republicans get COVID. It's some sort of moral failure and you deserved it. We got to get past this, folks. Like it, it appears. All right. Show of hands. You guys know people that are getting COVID again. I do. So it, it in all walks of life, my, people at my wife's work, people here, like it's it seems like it's going in. I know I'm gonna, it's going to sound crazy. It seems like it's going in cycles, though, like viruses. Which is weird because this is the smartest virus ever. But um, that's what it seems like. We're probably going to have, I don't know, two cycles a year, one in the summer, one around the winter. That's what it seems like. If you want to blame somebody, do what I do. Blame China. Hey, that's 
That's it's on the other side of the planet, right? And they're communists. So, like, who who's going to defend communists? All right, except Democrats and the media. But besides that, besides them, who like really in your daily life? You no, no, no. We shouldn't be blaming the communist Chinese for this. Who who says that? <laughs> it's an easy blame game to play. Now, because the Veep is in town, she's going to be stumping for a bunch of Democrats running for office. The Economist is pleading with the Democrats as they are campaigning to please wake up from wokeness, essentially. We'll get into that. Traffic, it's all veeped up today. But don't worry, she's where she needs to be now. Uh, I mean, God help you if you're anywhere in that vicinity in Uptown. But she's where she needs to be now. She got there. And uh, she's going to be doing some speeches and then uh, campaigning for some of the the candidates for North Carolina General Assembly. And uh, they're going to be talking about uh, abortion uh, but not in any kind of specific way. They're just going to because when you start talking the specifics of it, then people start realizing how radical their uh, their positions, their proposals are. I mean, therefore, abortion on demand without any restrictions until birth. And that is not a popular opinion. Uh, you hear the stories in our newscast, for example, you hear the story. They're, they're reporting all these stories about how uh, the Democrats want to uh you know, protect women's access to abortion, health care, or whatever euphemism they're using for it nowadays. Um, yeah, because when when you poll people, they generally, I mean, there is a consensus in America around abortions being permitted early in pregnancy, but then banned later. And most people tend to come down around 15 weeks. That's what the polling says. But what they do is conflate that polling to make it sound like everybody agrees with Democrats and Republicans have this uh, this this radical position, which they do not. I mean, they're pro-life. They've been pro-life. The party has been pro-life. They believe all life is precious and should be protected. And uh, various states have offered up various types of, you know, legislation to get at that. And, of course, now you've got the one bill from like two years ago. Representative Larry Pittman introduced the bill. It went nowhere and it's it got, you know, it went to rules committee, I think, to die because that's where the bills go to die. And now they're trotting this thing out as if this is what all the Republicans are trying to do. That's OK. If that's what the GOP was trying to do, they would have done it because they control the House and the Senate in North Carolina. But they did not do it. They sent it to rules to die. Now, they do have a 15 week restriction. That's what they would like to do. But Josh Stein is refusing to uh, move on that as the attorney general. He's supposed to be right the top law enforcement officer in the state. He's supposed to be advancing uh, the law and uh, he disagrees with it. So now he's just not going to fight for uh, for that law to take effect. And so now the state legislature looks like they're going to have to sue him and they're going to have to do it. Um. Something, something, democracy, whatever. Oaths of office, blah, blah, blah. All right. So Kamala Harris is in town, stumping for some Democrats on the abortion issue. 
Oh, I mean, there's something in there also about the Internet access. Um, but The Economist, The Economist publication, they got a cover story. It says, wake up, Democrats. Sensing an impending midterm blowout and the ensuing empowerment of a Trump-friendly GOP, they are begging the Democratic Party's leaders to distance themselves from their fringe elements. Jim Garrity at National Review, he does a, a daily newsletter called The Morning Jolt. He says, fringe, or this is from The Economist, fringe and sometimes dotty ideas have crept into Democratic rhetoric, peaking in the feverish summer of 2020 with a movement to defund the police, abolish immigration enforcement, shun capitalism, relabel women as birthing people, and inject anti-racism into all the classrooms. So the economist identifies these as problems, right? So Garrity says, first of all, out of all the possible times for the leaders of the party and its centrist, quote unquote, members to embrace a fight with their hard left grassroots four months before Election Day is maybe the worst time for them to do it. Okay, it's not just pragmatically. It's not going to happen. You need these people. You need all of them to turn out and vote for you. So now is not the time to pick the fight. Right now, Democrats desperately need progressives, the Bernie bros, the squad fans, uh, your crazy Aunt Edna with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg prayer candles, all of them. They need them all to turn out in November. So that's the first problem with the economists pleading. Second, rebuking the fringe left is going to be pretty hard, and uh, few people embrace difficult change until they absolutely hit rock bottom, right? And even then... People and parties might not even embrace change at that point. So he asks the question, do the Democrats seem more centrist uh, centrist and results-focused now than they did in 2020? Do you think they've gotten better? Do you think they are more centrist now than they were in 2020? I don't. He said, we can debate whether Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders actually have a lot of influence over what passes in Congress. I mean, you can have that debate, but they still get covered as if they do. There are still members of Congress who embrace defund the police. Right? The Biden White House keeps using the term Latinx or Latinx or Latinx. I still don't know how to pronounce it. Which, you know, not for nothing, if you're gonna if you're gonna change the language like this, you need to do you know, there needs to be some sort of a, you know, like a soft launch where you start putting out stuff, letting people know how to pronounce these new words. Right. Because if I say if I say it improperly, if I mispronounce the word, then I'm going to be accused of some horrible thing. Right. So I just think it's incumbent upon uh, the purveyors of these ridiculous words. I think it's it's incumbent upon them to tell us how they want them pronounced. Am I supposed to affect like a a little bit of a Spanish dialect there? Like, I mean, because all the people in the media do this, right? When they pronounce when they pronounce a a person's name or you pronounce a a foreign country, like Nicaragua, right? You got to say it like that, or you know, so and so they were on their way from Venezuela. You have to you have to do the dialect, and so I don't know who wrote that rule, but I think that's the case. And um, Saturday Night Live did a whole big thing on it years ago. So the Biden White House keeps using that term. The assistant secretary of HHS just went on MSNBC and argued that there should be no limit on teenagers' ability to obtain, quote, gender affirmation treatment. 
Okay. Is that a more centrist position for the Democratic Party to have versus 2020? After Dobbs overturns Roe v. Wade, right? Do you think they become more centrist? I do not. After a midterm election blowout in November, maybe Democratic Party leaders and their centrists will have the stomach to confront their left wing, but it's not going to happen now. Progressives may try to blame Joe Biden, and look, he will deserve some of that blame. But beyond Biden, there is no denying that the Democratic Party has what Garrity calls, quote, doddering, uninspiring, geriatric leadership. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, 82 years old. Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, 83 years old. Or sorry, yeah, Pelosi's 82. Did I say that? 82. Hoyer's 83. Uh, Majority Whip James Clyburn, 81. Chuck Schumer is the baby of the group. He's only 71. Senate Majority Whip, uh, Whip Dick Durbin is 81. If these were airline pilots, Pelosi, Hoyer, Clyburn, and Durbin would have been forced to retire around the start of the W second term, George W's second term. Democrats have every reason to clean house and start fresh with a new slate of congressional leaders. But I suspect if the midterms are on, uh, are an epic wipeout, I think a lot of Democrats are going to choose the most self-serving explanation, which is that they lost because they were too nice or we didn't get out our message or People were too stupid to understand the nuances of our message. Might be something like that. Jim Garrity at Morning Jolt, National Review. This long-distance dedication goes out to the Veep. Isn't this fine young cannibals? Drives me crazy. All righty, the 2016 election was about as shocking and painful a defeat for Democrats as any U.S. political party has suffered in the past generation. You would think the Democrats would have learned from the 2016 results to never assume that somebody is unelectable and to, you know, never play with fire by boosting a radical fringe candidate in a GOP primary, because that's what the Hillary Clinton campaign did. They held their fire on Donald Trump. Right. They they rooted for him. They wanted him to win. They thought this is going to be so easy to beat that guy. And then they lost to him. You would think Democrats would have learned by that. But that idea assumes that Democrats are capable of learning from their mistakes. So fast forward to this year. Pennsylvania Democrats spent time, energy, and resources making sure that Doug Mastriano won the Republican gubernatorial primary. Charlie Cook at National Review pointed out that this completely undermines the Democratic argument that Mastriano is a dangerous extremist who's going to destabilize American democracy. Right? Cook makes the same point I've been making for the past few weeks, ever since it became obvious that Democrats were trying to get pro-Trump Republicans uh, elected via or nominated in the primaries, right? Because they think they're going to be easier to beat in November. But why would you try to do such a thing if these people represent an existential threat to democracy? Why would you put them a step closer where they are able to destroy the democracy? Unless, of course, you don't actually believe 
that they are this existential threat to democracy. See, that's why I learned a while ago that if you just swap out the word democracy with Democrat or Democrat Party or something, it makes a lot more sense. That's really what they're afraid of. They're afraid these people are going to undermine the Democrat Party. Charlie Cook said, I do not want to hear a single thing from the Democratic Party about the threat that Mastriano presents to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania or to the Republican general. I am, from this moment on, not remotely interested in that case. Why not? Because the Democratic Party clearly doesn't believe a word of it. When one truly believes that a a given candidate is a threat, one does not send out mailers boosting him. Nor does one spend $840,000 on television advertisements designed to improve his standing. A few months later, all of a sudden, Politico reporting this morning, poll show Doug Mastriano is only down by three to four percentage points, and that is within the margin of error. Well, look at that. He spent all this money. To boost the guy that you called a threat to the democracy. Because you thought he would be an easier candidate to beat. And now he may very well beat you. And it's not just in Pennsylvania. Democrats are attempting the same maneuver in Arizona and Maryland. Because we all know Republicans can never get elected in Maryland or Arizona. Yeah, keep it up, guys. Keep it up. Um, North Carolina's Hispanic Hispanic population is booming, continues to grow. 5% of the state's population was Hispanic back in uh, the 2000 census. That went up to 8% in 2010. It's now at 11%, according to the last census. It's still a lower percentage than America at large, which is 19% Hispanic. But the steady growth brings questions about how the increased Hispanic presence is going to impact the state's politics. And despite being seen as a reliable voting bloc for Democrats in the past, there are signs Hispanic Americans are becoming a new swing demographic. And this is also of great concern. See, I keep keep coming back to this question that Jim Garrity asked at National Review. Do the Democrats now seem more centrist and results-focused than they did in 2020? Do they seem more moderate, more centrist now than in 2020? Signs of the shift among Hispanics is evident in the last presidential election, actually. So uh, an analysis by the Wall Street Journal last month uh, done by Aaron Zittner A Wall Street Journal editor and reporter, he broke down a massive shift in Hispanic alignment across the country. Um, There are just under 4,000 census tracts, like areas. It's like 3,730 of them. They're predominantly Hispanic census tracts. They moved, 3730, almost 4,000 moved towards Republicans. 352 went for Demo- moved for Democrats. That's the shift. Almost 4,000 areas that are predominantly Hispanic broke towards Republicans, and under 400 broke towards Democrats. 
I'm sure the Veep is going to perform fantastic today for all those North Carolina Democrats running for office. Give it up for the Veep! Veep, 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 Veep.